0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the
1: podcast. Saul Marquez here. I have Dr. John LaPuma. He's an inventor and founder at Chef Clinic. John is the leading physician voice for healthy eating and is a wellness and nutrition expert, both a certified practicing internist and professionally trained chef, which is a pretty awesome combo, by the way. Uh, he's a New York Times best selling author, twice advocating healthy living, weight control, and nutrition as part of health. Dr. La Puma sees patients in Santa Barbara, California for one-on-one personal medical programs with follow-up by phone nationwide. He's been called a secret weapon by the Wall Street Journal and is a regular health, nutrition, and culinary medical contributor in the national media. He hosts the national PBS series, Dr. John LaPuma's Chef MD Shorts, the 90-minute PBS special, Eat and Cook Healthy with Dr. John LaPuma, and the 13-part YouTube series, Refuel Minute for men. So if you haven't checked any of these things out, definitely check them out. They'll be in the show notes, but it's definitely uh, important to note as well that he's been named one of America's top physicians by Consumers Research Council and among many other accolades. So it's a true pleasure to, to welcome John to the podcast. Welcome and thanks for joining. Thanks all. Happy to be with you. So, John, you, you've done a lot of really cool things and, you know, we've had a chance to connect prior, uh, food, nutrition, super key, but what is it that that got you into the healthcare sector to begin with?
0: I I always have liked caring for others, Saul. I like the idea that you can nurture people and food and plants and animals. I just, I like the nurturance thing. and. Medicine is, I think, fundamentally about well-being and nurturance is part of that well-being. So I I liked the idea that from an early age that uh, I could express empathy. I had a lot of experience with older people. Uh, some of my first jobs were in assisted living facilities and nursing homes so when I was 15 and 16. And I just, I liked those people and I liked the stories they told. and. And I was interested in the science, but the science wasn't always the top thing for me. It was more, what were the stories that other people told, particularly older people, that were about how they got to be where they are. So um, that's how I was drawn into medicine. And it probably explains why I've had a really non-traditional career and um, have just added things instead of changed them.
1: Hey, I think it's really cool the way that you've approached it and uh, your personal touch has definitely created a a lot of great value for for the people that listen to your work, watch your work or, or you know, your patients, right, that you're treating. So what would you say is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda, John? And how are you and uh, in the things that you're approaching it with, uh, how, how do you do it?
0: Well, as you know, Saul, I've been interested in this idea called culinary medicine, the blending of the art of cooking with the science of medicine to give restaurant quality meals that help prevent and treat disease. And it's, it's pretty clear, I think, now to people at every level in the healthcare system that food affects uh, how you feel, how you think, what diseases you can prevent, uh, what diseases you can treat, and of course, your overall well being. But I think there's even a step beyond this that uh, I've been working on recently that um, has to do with the built patient environment, the climate inside of hospitals, inside of doctors' offices, and wherever medical care is delivered that uh, we're just beginning to learn about that uh, I think uh, has a significant effect on how people recover from illness Uh, and how they can prevent it uh, once they get home. And I'm talking about the view from a hospital room. I'm talking about the air quality in a hospital room. I'm talking about um, the presence of uh, natural phenomena, uh, plants and water features available to uh, hospital staff and to uh, visitors as uh, solace from the tough parts of medical care. We're just really beginning to learn how, uh, nature and views of nature and the environment as a whole, including climate change can change health. Uh, but I think it's, it's a next, a next topic that's going to blossom in the next 10 years. And, and we're excited to be part of it.
1: I think it's a really cool topic. And, um, you know, uh, you, you yourself are a Ted Med speaker. I was there a couple months ago and, and, uh, actually uh, was eating breakfast and sat next to this uh, uh, really, really bright uh, a woman who was an architect and was working on on topics of this that you know, it was architecture and healthcare, and it was basically everything surrounding what you said about, around these elements of nature, water, plants and the impact that it has on, 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 uh, people when they're getting treated. I think it's so fascinating. And, and, uh, and so this is kind of like the next chapter, right? And so I'd love to, to hear from you more about your, your current chapter, the cooking and, and the, and the eating and the wellness. Can you give the listeners an example, how you've
0: created results by doing things differently? Well, actually, sure. Speaking at, uh, about TEDMED, I, when I was there two or three years ago, uh, I met um, some folks from NBBJ, the uh, internationally known architectural firm uh, centered in Seattle in this country, um, which invited me to consult with them about creating lifestyle gardens for Loma Linda That's University cool. and for, uh, for their own rooftop and for a clinic in eastern Washington. The idea that the plant selection could be used both for therapeutic reasons and for uh, educational instructive ones. And so we did a great deal of research in designing a cardiovascular garden, a pediatric garden, an immune system garden. And I worked with very talented landscape architects at MBBJ, which is really a leader in health architecture and has created many of the uh, leading uh, hospitals and clinics in this country and, and really internationally. Cool. And they have the idea that the outside environment really affects healing and creating a natural spaces which are on view as patients heal is in fact part of their therapy and they see architecture as, uh, and the microbiome of the built environment for that matter, as a way to contribute to, to getting better and to well-being. And so it was a privilege to work with them. And I, I really admire their work. And our own work is going to ex- continue that by developing this idea of nature therapy and learning more about how uh, nature works in the body as medicine. Yeah, that's
1: pretty neat. That's that's pretty neat. And I didn't know that about you, that you definitely had engaged in this area. Definitely fascinating. And 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 so when you think about the things that you've done to, to make an impact, you know, what would you say one of the uh, setbacks that you had, you know, you've had a lot of success, but would you say one of the things that you had a setback in, what did you learn from that,
0: that has made you better as a, as a uh, result? I've made, had many more setbacks than I've had successes. (laughs) (laughs) You just try to keep throwing stuff against the wall and hope that works. You know, one example is that when I was, in my first career in medicine, in medical ethics, and began a community clinical ethics center at Lutheran General Hospital in Park Ridge, now part of the advocate system.
1: You uh, know, I live in Park Ridge now, right? <laughs> I
0: just <know> that. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome.
1: I, I, I actually just moved uh, mm-hmm. a couple months ago, actually, a month and a half ago, John. So I'm very familiar with Lutheran. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's that
0: 1775 Dempster. You, are you close by? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about 10 minutes away. I loved my time there and developed a, an ethics consultation service, which was the first in a community hospital in the country and did a lot of academic research. It was very embracing of the idea that um, ethics consultation at the patient's side in the clinical setting was an important clinical intervention that consultants could add to outside of committees, although it also had committees, and allowed me to do a great deal of research. But I did so much of it and kind of 12 to 14 hours a day, a lot uh, that I gained 30 or 40 pounds and was there constantly and worried constantly. And I really didn't mind my own health at all. And and as a consequence, I kind of burned out on ethics, uh, although I still love it and love the people in it. I went to the University of Chicago a couple months ago to attend the 30th annual. Fellows conference. Very cool. But I was unable to keep balance in my life. So I needed to take a couple of years off. And that's when I went to cooking school and uh, wrote my second book on, on clinical ethics and began to see how I might begin to fit my love for food and cooking into medicine where it, where it seemed to fit. But without that, two years away, really. I don't think I would have had the possibility of recalibrating my goals and interests and, and uh, passions. So burning out kind of had a silver lining, but for a long time I had to struggle to find it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was tough. And, uh, and, and, so you, you, you rebuilt and you, you found a way to weave in your passions into your profession and and I think that's really cool, you know. When 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 people are able to to piece together their their passions with their professions, it, you know, it really becomes a a calling rather than a career. You you get paid to do it. It's fun, and you become even more successful. and And, and I really believe that that's what you've done, John. And and so kudos to you for for turning that around. A lot of us can find ourselves in, in, in those moments, right. Where you do feel burned out. And so, and so take this story from John and, and know that there is a silver lining in what you're doing right now. And, and that uh, there is an opportunity for you to turn this into even better. And so, and speaking of even better, John, what would you say one of your proudest medical leadership experiences has been to date?
0: I was privileged to give the first lecture at Harvard on culinary medicine. Uh, That was fun. Very cool. Uh, It meant that the subject had kind of arrived and then I could go off and do something else, uh, which I'm, or use it as a bridge really to this idea of nature therapy. And teaching the first uh, culinary medicine class in the medical school with my friend and colleague, Michael Royzen, who's now head of wellness at the Cleveland Clinic, was also a really cool thing to uh, be able to participate in. Just We had 12 students the first year, and there were 70 signed up the second year. And students, young people in particular, seem to get that food can work like medicine in the body and wanted to know the practical skills of it. And the magic is that if you write recipes on prescription slips or share a passion for what you eat and how to eat, or for that matter, how you exercise and where you exercise, your patients see you as um, more human and more engaged and more on their side and you actually have fun together. And so I've been privileged to have many high moments and I, I hope I'll have many more because the idea that you can actually change your health with with plants that you know, trees might be as powerful as statins in preventing heart disease, is really novel, but it's not that different than than what I was told you know, fifteen years ago when I began in culinary medicine. That the references in the medical literature were mostly about how different parts of the anatomy were named after, or different parts of the of pathology were named after food, like they were only. There are cherry angiomas, Mm -hmm. and there's a nutmeg liver. The only thing (laughs) you can find is how food caused disease or was associated with disease. Now, although there's a lot of controversy about how good the science is, we know that some food actually can help prevent disease or forestall it, and some diets actually treat disease. I think that probably the same thing is true for environments, that um, being in a forest for a short period of time, certainly changes cortisol levels and the, and the activity in the amygdala and hippocampus, changes cognition, reduces anxiety, reduces depressive feelings. Inside, uh, indoor household plants can filter airborne microbes and up to 20% of dust. And according to NASA, can clean a room of, uh, of indoor air pollutants, which are Five times as prevalent indoors as they are outside. Uh, Visiting a park for 30 minutes weekly can prevent 9% cases of uh, hypertension uh, and reduces uh, systolic and diastolic blood pressures um, by eight and six points, respectively, on average. Um, I mean, the the list just goes on about uh, what is basically uh, not yet considered a subject for medical science that's serious
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that's changing
1: yeah that's that's uh, definitely fascinating john and you know you so you were enumerating these uh these things that you could do and you immediately i'm sure folks you're listening and you're like wow those are really easy to do like i could go once a week to the park or i could put a plant in my house or one of the things that john just mentioned yeah sure it's easy what's easy to do is also easy not to do. And it really easily falls out of your priorities. So look, you guys are listening to this podcast, right? And, and, and the one thing that I would say is, is rather than passively listen, take a nugget and apply it. And, and so I invite you to, to take action and, and do one of these things, hit rewind listen to John's ideas again and implement them into your day to day, because these things do make a difference. And, uh, and if you want go to the show transcript, you'll be able to, uh, find those ideas there as well. We'll summarize them for you. Just go to outcomes, and under the search bar, search for chef clinic or La Puma, and you'll find the uh, transcript there. Um, what would you say an exciting project you're working on today is John?
0: Um, we're working on this idea of, of nature therapy. We uh, just finished a 21 minute uh, TV pilot that we're going to pitch to cool. a streaming service. We finished a 20 page white paper on how you can use nature to improve your own health that we're going to list for free as a PDF on my website, drjohnlucuma.com. So is that available yet or not yet? I think it's just going up this week. Um, Sweet. We're early December here. So
1: when uh, this, when this, uh, interview goes live, it'll be available folks. So if you're listening right now, that means it's available and it's in the show notes. So again, <laughs> outcomes yeah. rocket that health chef clinic, get that it's so it's, uh, it's so tell us about that. Uh, that sounds
0: really cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a really practical way to look at some of the science of uh, nature from forest bathing to aromatherapy to pet therapy. A lot of things that have been kind of poo-pooed or not thought of as very serious. But if you start looking more closely, some of the science is actually at least suggestive and in some cases persuasive, uh, including uh, these folks at Stanford did MRIs on people who had walked in nature for 30 minutes and uh, looked at their brain activity and found that the brain activity in the subgenual prefrontal cortex where rumination starts. Uh, was significantly lower, which reduces both anxiety and uh, depressive mood. There's an epidemic of uh, myopia, particularly among young children, even worse in Asia, sadly, than it is in in the United States. But that's thought to be almost certainly due to uh, screen use. And adults check their phones 77 times a day on average. It's 11 hours of screen time in one way or another for most adults in the United States. And, and similarly, we, we spend like 93%, literally 93% according to the World Health Organization of our time inside, about 87% yeah. inside and 6% in cars. That's a lot. That's and, a lot. That's and a lot. You know, I think it's, it's really out of balance. If you look at other areas that are, are not even directly related to digital distraction, but are just directly about pain relief, for example, uh, we've done studies with virtual reality and and kids who were getting flu shots. Um, we gave them 30 seconds of under the sea virtual reality where they were swimming with fish uh, with a over the, over the eyes, inexpensive $20 VR holder. And while they were getting their flu shot and for a few seconds afterwards, it was actually a randomized controlled pilot in a, a clinic here in Santa Barbara about 200 kids mm-hmm. uh, from ages uh, two to 14 with their parents' permission. And they had half the fear and half the pain, according to their our survey instruments that they did when they then previously getting shot for flus. Their their parents loved it. They thought their kids were much less distressed and the nurses thought, and made clinic goes more smoothly rather than taking an extra step. So um, this is the power, I think, not just of distraction of being under the sea, because the same thing should not work, I think, with a shoot 'em up video game, but instead, kind of the resetting of your brain by allowing it to focus softly instead of having your attention demanded, which is what so many other devices do. I mm-hmm. think uh, that's, that's what,
1: really interesting. You know, one one of the uh, thoughts that I've, that I've had, so I was at a conference, um, it was about two years ago, John, uh, it was the health 2.0 conference. And, and one of the uh, vendors there had a headset, it was a meditation VR. And so I put it on and, uh, yeah. and, and it was, I mean, I was, it just relaxed me so much. And she also had one of those ECG bands, uh, I forget what you call it. It's another company. And it shows kind of the change in brainwaves. And so I've been debating getting one of these VR meditation things. But then the thing that crosses my mind is your point uh, about the environment and being outside and the value and, and the fact that this VR is basically lights shining into my eyes in the form of nature environments, you know? So like, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I, I think almost anything you can do as a routine to relax and kind of reset your feeling of demanded attention is a good thing to do. I think if, You have a favorite sitting spot, even in view of nature. The data show that exercising in view of nature is almost as good as exercising outside. Really? So, uh, Which is uh, better than exercising inside without a view of nature. Wow. Changes your blood pressure, changes your cortisol, changes your pulse rate, and uh, and actually improves performance. And I'm talking about... uh, here, the studies were done with treadmill exercises, walking and running. Yeah. Um, so i I think that tra- trying VR um, with natural scenes is uh, is a good thing to do. I would um, try before you buy, as they say. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would. I like the idea of uh, and the earliest study by a guy named uh, Ulrich, uh, published in Nature in 1984, who was also a landscape architect, showed that. Patients who had had received a cholecystectomy, a gallbladder operation that was open that we now do laparoscopically, but at the time was open, who had a view of nature instead of out there, a hospital window, instead of a view of a brick wall, which was uh, the other side of the hallway, essentially over three years and thousands of patients had required less opiate medication Uh or aspirin, less fewer opioids. They got uh, had shorter hospital stays and they reported that their experience in the hospital was better than those who had a view of a brick wall. Wow. So even a view of nature can change the way that you perceive pain, can change the way that you experience uh, relaxedness and mood. And so uh, I think everyone should work hard to have a view of nature every day if if they can't get outside. And sometimes you can't because the weather's terrible or it's unsafe, but uh, we should work towards a place in healthcare where we give our patients a view of nature and, and even begin to think about it as a therapeutic tool. Love
1: it, John. This is such great, uh, great advice. And Listeners, again, I hope you're you're taking notes here because these are some very practical tips. So um, make sure you're surrounding yourself with these views of nature; it's very good for you. Um, so, getting close to the end here, John, this has been a ton of fun. I love this topic, and and uh, glad you and I are chatting with this and sharing it with the uh, with the listeners. Let's pretend we're building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in healthcare. I've got five questions for you, lightning round style, followed by a book for the listeners. You ready? Go. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: Wow, in 25 words or less. (laughs) Um, The best, um, it's stop drinking soda and drink more water.
1: Love that. What's the biggest mistake
0: or pitfall to avoid? Dogmatism, making insisting that you're right, particularly about diet. But almost about anything.
1: How do you stay relevant despite constant change? I
0: have a lot of different settings in which I see patients for healthcare parks, cafeterias, their homes. It gives you a different view of what they care about in well being, and well being is the goal of medicine. Hmm.
1: Love that. What, what's one area of focus
0: that drives everything in your work? To help people help themselves and become more autonomous about their health, especially as they get outside and choose better food. And what would you
1: say your number one success habit is?
0: Diligence. <laughs> Love I it. try not to give up. Love that. Great quality.
1: And, and what book would you recommend to the listeners, John? I,
0: um, I, I like mindfulness too. And mm-hmm. I like a lot Thick Knot Han's pieces every step. It's, it's really thin. To, and it was written, I don't know, 20 years ago. But it's. Well, what was the name of the second one, John? the author is Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. His, his name is uh, N-H-A-T-H-A-N-H. And the book, he's written many of them, but his, the book I like especially is called Peace is Every Step. And it, it's really about how to have mindfulness in everyday life and how how to meditate while walking, actually. He does a lot of walking meditations, which you don't have to be transcendental to enjoy. You just have to be conscious of your surroundings, and and he teaches this really well in that book. Peace um, is
1: every step, yeah. and mindfulness too. Great resources, John. Folks, go to outcomesrocket.health. Check out Chef Clinic in the search bar. You'll find us there. John, did you have another uh, comment there that 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 you wanted to uh, highlight?
0: Well, I have, I have favorite cookbooks, <laughs> I have favorite, <laughs> I have favorite medicine books, I have favorite fiction books. Well, well, if you have one more, I'll take it. I worked at Topo Bambo in Chicago for four years, a great Mexican restaurant and Rick Davis's nice. first book, yeah. Authentic Mexican, I think is his best book. Um, and he's written half a dozen or more since, and that now has a half a dozen restaurants, but Authentic Mexican, uh, Uh, Regional cooking from the heart of Mexico is his idea. His result of his three or four years living there with Dan, his uh, wife and partner of uh, many years, and really talking to a lot of grandmothers and finding ingredients that were basically unknown in the United States at the time, and giving them a place on the American palate and the American table. And he also is a brilliant teacher, and I'm indebted to him for the opportunity to work at his restaurant for four years and, and be part of that culture.
1: That's awesome, John. Love that. Some great recommendations and a, and a reminder too to, to remember our heritage and the things that, that could really enrich us with heritage and culture really is the, the rich, richness uh, that, that we have in life. Um, John, before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with or
0: follow your work. Oh, my closing thought is that everybody has health within reach, whether it's outside or whether it's in the kitchen. And uh, those are the two most powerful tools, I think, to feel better today. And people can get in touch with me through my website, which is drjohnlapuma.com or on Twitter, where I'm at John Lapuma, or by email, uh, where I'm at Dr. John DRJOHN at chefclinic.com.
1: Outstanding, John. This has been a pleasure, folks. I'm, I hope you've enjoyed this interview and uh, looking forward to staying in touch.
0: Thanks so much, Saul. been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast.